Welcome into another episode. We're talking today, Craig Malasa and Danny Reed of the Georgia Southern Sports Network. How are we doing this morning, Danny? Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, Mr. Craig. How are you? I am. Uh, I wish I could say the th- same, but uh, I'm, I'm bushy-tailed, but maybe not bright-eyed. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to to get get the uh, wind out of my eyes from yesterday. So uh, it, it looked like you guys were out uh not in a press box yesterday is that correct no all weekend because of the setup in san marcus we had a table set up to the left of the home radio booth because they only have their two booths and one was being used by e plus that's where brand freeman was all weekend and ktsw their flagship had the other booth which was right next to us but the ironic thing the table that we were at, it's the same table that Chris Draper and I sat at for the championship game in 2016 when the Eagles lost to the Cajuns. So I, I'm, I remember it from six years before, but I don't remember the wind being like it was all weekend long, especially the last two days. And Colin and I talked about this a couple of times on our broadcast that whatever we found that become a paperweight became a paperweight. It, we both got chapped lips the last two days. It, it wasn't the most comfortable thing in the world, but it was it was a very fun series and a lot better for Georgia Southern to take two or three from Texas State. Yeah, I heard y'all talking about the paperweights there, uh, using headphones, microphones, laptops, uh, cell phones, whatever it, whatever was available there. Uh, the you know the wind seemed to be blowing all around the country yesterday, so. Yeah, I didn't realize it, that it was at other places because on Jonesboro, it was pretty crazy, too. But it's always like that there. That's not something that's out of the ordinary. And I've watched other Texas State games where it's been pretty windy, but I can't ever remember a series where it's been like that sustained all three days. And it got worse from Friday to Saturday. And yesterday, it was 20 to 30 miles per hour, pretty steady. And the spot that they had us in, they actually nicknamed that part of the ballpark the wind tunnel. So when you're <laughs> trying to broadcast and you're just constantly worried about stuff blowing over and off and all this and that, it, it, it was it was not comfortable, but taking two of three helped for sure. Well, one thing that most people probably don't know about you and, and, and most broadcasters such as Jay and Brad and, and Brant, that you guys do have a lot of material out there and you're writing all the time. You're always writing something down. It's not something that you can just throw up on a computer screen and read off of because you're always updating things along along the broadcast. So, There are a couple of guys that do use an electronic book. I, I haven't seen what the program looks like, but I know that there's a number of guys that score games, whether it's on an iPad or, or a touchscreen laptop or something like that, and it makes it more efficient so you're not having to lug around a bunch of books or papers or things of that nature but regardless of how you do it you're always thinking of something whether it's that pitch that inning did a record get broken is a trend still going did a trend get broken and when you're looking down for the stuff that you're used to being able to get without it blowing away and there's always the threat that it's going to go into the crowd or blow into the dog park that's behind the ballpark it's it's unsettling but we we dealt with it we got through it, and the thing is, we're probably going to be outside tomorrow when we go to Presbyterian, so maybe that was a rehearsal or something. And where is Presbyterian? I was looking at that. We're going to get into that a little bit later, but where is that? Presbyterian is in Clinton, South Carolina. It's about three hours straight north from here. Okay. 
I've, 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 I learned, uh, I forgot what, what I was going through exactly, but uh, I learned a lot about several different colleges there in that North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia area that I'd never either really heard of or didn't know a whole lot about. So uh, this part of it's been fun. So let's get on to the games, man. Um, well, let's go ahead and start with, with your Texas State, uh, Georgia Southern and Texas State. To me, like I told you out there, I don't know if it was a fun, uh, it looked like a fun series, but at the same time, I'm not, you tell me, was it good baseball? Was there a whole lot of errors there? Or was that just a, some guys, guys, I mean, because you guys, you guys scored on bunts. It wasn't just home runs. I mean, you guys, you know, the squeeze plays, uh, sacrifices, you guys moved the run around. It looked like baseball, but it was high scoring. It, it was high-level baseball, and the, the only errors that really were committed all weekend were on either misplays at the mound or a throw from behind the plate. The infield defense for both teams was exceptional. Georgia Southern knock on wood didn't commit an error all weekend with all the balls that were put in play. It, it, it felt a lot like the series last weekend down at Teague Field where it had a tournament style, a regional style feel to it. It was high-level baseball with two teams that are going to be very worthy of postseason consideration. I mean, in some ways, Texas State could probably look at it being a – I don't know what they're going to be ranked this morning since they dropped three of their four games this past week, but they feel like they're probably a regional team now. Georgia Southern is still trying to build its resume. They picked up two more quad one wins. They actually knocked Texas State down to 59 going into yesterday and just missed out on the sweep. But the fact that they were number 10 in the country is a number that they've earned because of the way that they've played over the first two months of the season. Both teams hit. Texas State got a little more power with the wind blowing furiously out the last couple of days. They hit 11 home runs over three games, and that's how they kept themselves in it. They just started uppercutting everything. And even the routine fly balls to right and right center were getting out. Georgia Southern got a couple of themselves but it was much better suited for fly ball and Georgia Southern's not a fly ball team. They had more strikeouts, didn't generate a whole lot of free bases. And what hurt them yesterday was giving up too many free bases. They hit one guy all weekend and it was with two outs in the ninth inning yesterday. It started their rally. And then Gonzalez won it with that double to walk it off 10 to nine and keep the Eagles from sweeping. But Jason Swan was really good all weekend. Georgia Southern's bullpen having to fight the conditions was really good. And the fact that the Eagles were the first team to really get to Tristan Stivers this year was a pretty cool thing to watch. He hadn't blown a save all year, and he blew saves on both Friday and Sunday. You know, it was interesting. We were talking about it because there were several people at Lampson Park uh, at our softball game yesterday. Uh, well, actually, Saturday and Sunday, we were talking about the Georgia Southern. There were a lot of people, a lot of Cajun fans tuned into that game, uh, surprisingly. I said, if, and our athletic, our athletic director asked me, and we were, we were talking about, about it, and I said, I said, if I told you I scored 11 runs, had 16 hits, and uh, six home runs in the game, you think we would win? He said, well, I hope so. I said, well, no, they lost 13 to 11. That, that's, to me, that's just, a, and, and like you said, you look at the the line score here, 13 runs, 14 hits, zero, zero errors, 11 runs, 16 hits, zero errors. That's pretty good baseball there, man. It had to have been fun because I, I enjoyed listening to you guys. I'll, I'll do you another one. Game one, it went 11 innings, but Texas State struck out Georgia Southern 18 times and still lost. So if you would have told me that you strike out 18 one game 
and even Brant brought this up, but it's a really good point. You do that one game, you had six home runs the next game, and you lose both. That's wild. That's wild to think that that's how Georgia Southern claimed those first two games. And, and that, you know, I forgot about the first game, but that was a game that, that, uh, that they scored, uh, or y'all scored one in the top of the ninth to tie it. Then you each scored one in the 10th. And then you had that three run inning in the 11th that kind of put them away. But, but even there, I don't think you guys probably were, were felt comfortable, I guess, in the bottom of the 11th. No, the, the, the wind was bad, but it wasn't nearly as bad as it was on Saturday and Sunday. And they got the tying run to the play with two outs, but Ben Johnson got the fly out from McLean and that finished things up. The, the, the way that the last three innings went, Christian Avan hits the homer off Stivers to tie it at three. It was the first pitch with one out in the ninth inning, and Stivers had only given up one home run all year. He had only given up two runs all year, but they realized that their best chance to win was probably just to ride him and see what would happen. And from their minds, he's going to put up zeros. They're going to get a run in the bottom of an inning, and they're going to walk off. But that didn't happen at least enough for them to win. They didn't score in the bottom of the ninth. Georgia Southern got a run in the tenth on a squeeze from Sammy Blancato, who was in because Parker Beatier had to leave because of injury. They load the bases with no outs in the bottom of the tenth. They only get one. Johnson ends up striking out two guys to keep it 4-4. And then in the bottom of the 11th, there was a misplay on a fly ball to left that turned into a double. I mean, it didn't get scored as a double, but there was miscommunication between the outfielders. Jesse Sherrill gets to second base. And then on a strikeout with Avant batting, ball goes to the backstop. Sherrill scores 5-4. Avant not only gets on a wild pitch, but also ends up at second base. I've seen guys move up two bases on a wild pitch before, but I've never seen somebody go from home to second on a wild pitch. And then they get two more runs in the inning, get a shutdown in the bottom half to take the opener, and then the offensive display that was game two. And then then yesterday it was almost a sweep, but Texas State walked off getting those two in the bottom of the ninth. Well, uh, from what I saw and what I heard from you guys, that that was uh, that was fun to watch and listen to. Uh, good. Good, good for y'all, though. Congratulations on the two out of three. I know after taking the first two and the way the game was played in the third game, you were looking for that sweep, definitely. But it, now that the dust has settled, you got to be happy with two out of three at Texas State. Yeah, considering that they were in position to sweep but didn't, it hurts a little bit. But at the same time, if you would have gone on the road against a number 10 team, I don't care if it's conference or non-conference, if you go on the road against the top 10 squad and take the series, one, that shows you what you can do, and two, it's probably going to get you some attention across the country. I'm not saying Georgia Southern's going to be ranked or anything when the polls come out sometime today, but they continue to build that resume. At the time that they've won their games, they had six quad one victories. I think it's dropped to five because of the way the rankings have shuffled right. around. But they're benefiting from Georgia Tech and Georgia still being high in the RPI. Mercer is still a top 25 RPI team. They're swept their series against the Citadel last week at open Southern Conference play and something that was uh, put up on social media. All six D1 teams in the state of Georgia are top 30 in the RPI. And yes, that does include Georgia State, which comes to Statesboro this weekend for Easter weekend for a Thursday through Saturday. So that's probably the biggest series that the two have ever played against each other. And it appears like both are playing as well as they can at this point in the season. Good deal. We'll get into that a little bit more uh, in in the second half. Let's uh, go around the Sun Belt now. UTA and Little Rock. Uh, Little Rock swept the series from UTA at 
little rock. What what did you see in that? Or what? I mean, I know you didn't see it physically, but but I know you follow the follow the games there. Um, not the two highest ranked teams in the Sun Belt, but still look like close games, playing well. No, and to be honest with you, that's probably two of the teams that are in contention for not making the tournament. You feel for Arkansas State because they're 0-12 now, and I don't know if there's much of a path for them to get into the top 10. I mean, we'll have to see because there are still 18 games left, but Arlington, ULM, Little Rock in that category as well. You feel like whoever would have gotten the upper hand this weekend would be okay, at least for a while. And they were close games. Arlington had three run leads in each of the last two, but Little Rock ends up walking off in the last two games. Still a team that's very deep at the plate. Nathan Lyons is a four-year starter on their infield. Dickerson continues to be a really good run producer. Haven't seen them on the field since the 19 tournament in Conway. We actually go out there in May for the final road series of the year. It, it always seems that they're a little bit more difficult to handle out there. It seems like they pitch better out there, but they score more on the road, even though they play in a hitter's ballpark. I don't know yeah. why that is, and maybe I'm skewing the numbers a little bit, but depending on where either team is, that's that's one that Georgia Southern is going to have to be more so concerned with. But for Little Rock to earn the sweep after they took two of three at Troy last weekend, it appears they're on the uptick a little bit. Yeah, and it looks like they – I don't know if they've done some upgrades to their park or they're just keep, keeping uh, keeping in a little better shape, but it looked good on TV yesterday. I know that uh, – I know they've, they've upgraded some – at least some some cameras there for baseball as opposed to what they had before, which looked like it was coming from a cell phone or something. The one thing I did notice about their outfield fence, it's 16 feet high all around. It's been that way for years, but I did notice that the wall draping is a little bit different with the maroon all the way around and the Little Rock branding and all that. Before, it was just a black tarp that was over the fence, and if you cleared it, good for you, but it's 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 a little bit more pleasing to the eye, and after this year, it's not going to matter because right. I can't see anybody else in the league playing Little Rock in much of anything unless, I mean, maybe them in Arkansas State will get up get a basketball home and home going. Maybe they'll play in midweek baseball. Maybe that could benefit both. But the the turf infield and the grass outfield is, is something that's kind of unique. I think Washington has it, but that's that's not something you see with your field every day. Yeah, the uh, you know, what's surprising to me there is because the it it after you get out to the outfield fence, it drops down to the – there's a road behind it, yeah. which I don't understand is why doesn't it drain better then? Because when they get some rain, that outfield can get pretty mushy. When it rains, you're cooked. It it does never drain well. That's been one of the been one of the points of concern across the league. And it was actually it it took them years to get it to a playable condition. When they, I think the the way that they originally put it, it was just a gravel pit when the field first opened. So I can't imagine what it was like for them to one be able to recruit, but two be able to put together solid programs. But since Chris Curry has gotten there, I give him a lot of credit for what he has done, for what he has brought in. They've had some of their better seasons in program history since he has gotten there. They've consistently been very good on offense. It seems like they always have that one good starter. It's been Aaron Funk. It's been Chandler Fidel. It's been Hayden Arnold. Arnold is back again, frontline guy in that rotation. So they could easily pick off anybody in this league. It's just a matter of what's going to work and where it's going to work. Quickly going back to y'all game, uh, y'all y'all series. Was that Ty Harrington in the booth with uh, Brent Freeman all weekend? 
It was on Friday and Sunday. He had to okay. do the Texas game on radio with Craig Way on Saturday, but he was there for one and three. Okay, and those are the two games that I listened to Brent. So a little bit there uh, when I because I had y'all on the on the on the cell phone, and I would mute Brent when something you know depending on what the play was, who I wanted to listen to. Uh, but no, uh, I, I'm like this guy knows baseball, and I couldn't figure out who it was. And I'm going, like, I bet you that's Ty Harrington. So him getting at me, he spent 20 years as the head coach, but him and Brand actually had a conversation before last season about just getting involved with broadcasting and just being able to share that knowledge. He was all about it. And now he's doing the games for Texas, which is where he went. It's where he played. And I think he gets a big kick out of it just as much as he did when he was still coaching. Oh, I didn't realize he, okay. That's interesting. So, well, good deal. Um, App State, South Alabama, I believe South Alabama, if I remember correctly, because I'm looking at it here, uh, swept them. Yeah. I think there were a couple sweeps this weekend. And there that were five was one sweeps. of We were the only non-sweep. Everybody else swept. It was it's one of those weekends. And, and, and you were right there, too. Okay. I, I didn't realize that all of them had uh, – I knew they were – I knew everybody was going for the sweep on Sunday. I did not know that Georgia Southern was the only one that did not sweep, so – Boo. Yes. No. <laughs> South Alabama App State, though. I mean, App State is one of those teams that, you know, like like similar to Little Rock. Sometimes they'll have that Friday night guy, but don't have much after that uh, at times. And again, fighting for the bottom of the league uh, for that last two spots not to make the tournament. Um, what about that series? What did anything special stand out there or we just need to move on? <laughs> well, the thing that stuck out was the pitching on both sides. I mean, South Alabama's starting was outstanding, and that's without Miles Smith, who didn't make his usual start in game one. They removed him from the rotation. The newspaper said he's been dealing with some elbow inflammation, so shut down temporarily. They've had issues like that before the last couple of years. JoJo Booker's been shut down. They shut down Jeremy Lee last year, so I don't know how extended this is going to be. They bumped Boswell up. They moved Booker into the Saturday role, and then Tyler Learman went on game three. He throws five shutout. App State only scored two runs all weekend. Um, I, you brought it up, so I'll, I'll talk about it. You know, they've had some issue with pitchers. I don't know mm -hmm. if it's – are they being overthrown in your opinion, or is it just something – does it just happen to be coincidence? I mean – I mean, I know you. I know you're not there every day, so I'm not asking you to be a doctor. Or, but well, I've got two different perspectives on that because the two injuries to Booker and to Lee, they both happened at J.I. Clement Stadium, which okay. which was pretty odd in the way that it went down. But Booker's happened in 2019. He didn't pitch again that year after going down in April, and then last year Jeremy Lee started the opener. Mark Calvi noticed that his velocity was way down, his curveball. There was something that was not right about. They shut him down. I think he ended up coming in out of the bullpen down the stretch as they were trying to go for that regional victory down in Gainesville. But this year, I remember just last weekend, we were talking with Jay and Top about it, and it seemed like they're riding their starters more than they ever have before. And I think you can do that late in the season when you know that things are on the line and you're trying to win championships and you're trying to get to regionals and supers and what have you. But I think that Miles Smith threw 120 some pitches in the game down at Teague Moore. Yeah. And it was, it was one where you were a little bit surprised because it was that much that early. 
and I don't know that he's been the same or active since. He, well, he went to Georgia State, and he had the really rough outing, but you just wonder if a game like that where the overuse came into play, if that didn't affect him negatively. I hope he comes back. I hope he's not down for long. He's the preseason pitcher of the year. But as opposed to a year ago where they were more bullpen-based, this year their starters carry the mail. Bullpen is still fine, but it's not the strength of their team like it was in 21 when they won the league title. Well, no, the thing that surprised me about that that weekend at Teague, the Teague was that uh, South Alabama has a really good bullpen, is my understanding, but they weren't they weren't going to it on Friday night, and that just kind of shocked me. It's definitely one of the top few in the league, but a year ago, it was the best bullpen in the league. There were others that could try and make the case about it, but Souths was the best bullpen. They had multiple guys that could close, a lot of guys that could give them two and three innings, so their starters didn't have to be the 18 to 21 out guy, but now it seems like Booker, Boswell, they're out there at minimum six to seven innings. If they've got the durability to do it, okay. But if they start to experience the same issues that we have seen with Smith and with that Booker's already gone through with what Lee has gone through, that could put Mark Calvey into a corner. But he is somebody that's always been of the opinion that whoever I give the ball to is going to be able to get the job done. That's how he recruits and that's how he coaches. Good deal. Uh, Troy ULM. Troy is still a little bit of an enigma to me. I'm not sure what – I mean, they swept the Cajuns opening weekend of Sunbelt Conference play. And then they they turn around and do something really silly against somebody else, but they were they took care of business against ULM. Um, anything in that series that stood out to you? Anytime you go on the road and sweep, it's big. It doesn't matter how good you are, how bad somebody else is. It is extremely difficult to take a road series, especially sweep a road series. And we both agree, and a lot of people agree, that if ULM figures things out, that is not a team that anybody wants to see, especially getting into the month of May in tournament time. But Troy actually had to rally late in the final two games. They dominated game one. But just yesterday, I was reading that it was an eight to two Troy league going into the eighth. ULM comes back and ties it with four in the ninth. But Troy comes back, they get five in the 11th inning. And even ULM, they get two themselves, but they end up falling 13 to 10 to get swept but clearly enough offense to win but just not enough offense to win yeah it, it's uh ulm is, is uh, I, in my opinion is very similar to what uh little rock does they'll, they'll have a guy on friday night that they'll have some guys that can hit and especially if you're on the road up there uh it, it can be it can be someplace that you don't want to play i'm just happy that the the cajuns have them home next week and i think we're uh so i'm checking right now you know, we're 30 and two against them over the last 30 games. Yeah. But at the same time, it, it's uh, it, it they've had some close games and besides some of the blowouts. So uh, they are a team just like you guys. If they get into their speed and bunt game, that is one that is really tough to handle if you're not used to. If the Cajuns get their speed and bunt game going, especially at home, that is really tough to get used to. So it's almost like they're going to be trying to play the same game two different ways with robbery weekend this coming weekend going into Easter. Georgia State, Coastal Carolina. How big of a surprise is that that Georgia State swept at Coastal? I think that they had to show the league that they were for real. And look, I know Coastal is still not what we expect them to be. I think they're better than they were last year. They're not going to finish under 500 in conference play this year, I wouldn't think, but 
that that's one that that grabs your attention. Coastal had been swept at home once in the last 22 years. Troy did it last year. But for Georgia State, under second-year coach Brad Strombaugh to go there to win the way that they did, now be in first place in the league coming to Statesboro this weekend. Colin and I have talked, and Colin knows Coach Strombaugh really well. I had a chance to meet him last year. I've known about him and the success he had at Georgia Gwinnett College in this state. We knew the turnaround was going to happen. It has happened really, really quickly. They are swinging it extremely well. They're effective enough on the back end. And defensively, they're playing a lot better than they did last year. So that that really might be – they're not a top-10 team like Texas State is, but you could certainly make the case that they're one of the three best teams in this league at this point. Well, you know, they went out last year and played a team uh, a schedule that, you know, had SEC, ACC, uh, you know, just uh, – you know, way out of their league, I guess, for last year, especially with the first year head coach. I don't know if that was money issues. They had, they were, you know, with COVID and everything, they were trying to get their budget up. But this year they turn around and you see, which, which I, I'm just seeing that it was postponed. I forgot, uh, you know, their midweek games last week were Tuskegee and Reinhardt, you know. Yeah, not the, not the murderer's row that you would be hoping for, especially for a team that has a, 22 and 10 record they only count the division one victories in terms of rpi but even so they're a top 30 rpi team they beat clemson on the road that's a game that griffin cheney had three home runs up at dunkingsmore stadium and i probably would tell you that griffin cheney is the player of the year in the league at this point he's leading in batting average on base percentage he also leads the league in walks Max Ryerson's leading the league in homers and slugging percentage. So clearly, whatever their offensive identity has been, they are living it and they're hitting everything. They are they are truly uh, one of the success stories this year, uh, as opposed to uh, previous seasons. Uh, and you've got to like the way they've been playing. Uh, as far as I, I think Sunbelt Conference, I won't say Sunbelt Conference baseball is back, but my hope is that. You know, we're getting at least two teams in the tournament this year. I think we have at, at, at this point in the season, I think we have a good opportunity for two, possibly three teams. The more and more we can talk on Mondays about how many teams are in the top 50 and top 70 of the RPI, the better. And you get into the 70s, that's that's some gray area. You probably need to be a power five if you're that low just by your nature of schedule to have a chance of getting in if you're in at large. But for the Sun Belt, seven of your 12 teams are top 70, three in the top 50. Georgia Southern's still number one in that category. They'll go into the week number 18, having to go to Presbyterian on Tuesday. That is a lower RPI team. But a road victory would help, even if it is against a team that is lower in the RPI. That's not one you can lose because that can really hurt you more than it can help you if you win. And then with Georgia State at home this weekend, it's huge for both because State can stay in first. And if things go right for Georgia Southern, they could be in first by the time Easter rolls around. But that's 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 the start of a pretty compelling week. Yes. And talking about uh, RPI killers, the Cajuns go up to Arkansas State, didn't get killed. Swept, swept the Red Wolves, but like you said, a low RPI team in Arkansas State, probably the, I think it's the lowest in the Sun Belt, if I'm correct. I hadn't looked at, but uh, it, it could have hurt the Cajuns big time to lose up there. Uh, did you get a chance to, to listen to James Top at all, or? Though we did catch him a little bit for game two, the game that came down to the ninth inning. Didn't get a chance yesterday when it went extras, but from what I was gathering on social media, the fact that 
Arkansas State gave itself about as many chances as they possibly could and either got very little or nothing at all. There was what there was the jam with bases loaded, no outs, and Tommy Ray got a couple of strikeouts and got a ground out to get out of that. But when you're a team like Arkansas State, who I'm telling you, they're not as bad as their record shows you. They just right. they, their offense is too good to be 0 and 12 in this league. But the more and more that you don't pull games like that out against conference competition, the more that you think that you can't do it. And I hate putting it that way, but they've lost five of their league games by one run. I think seven or eight by two runs or less. They have been right there and could easily be at minimum a 500 conference team. But just about everything that can go wrong has gone wrong the first four weeks of the league season. I was going to ask you about how much of that is mental. At this point, when you get this, when you're starting to get, you know, the first half of the season's gone, gone through, and you've lost some close games and everything, how much of that is mental with mistakes and or or that that thing, you know, that old saying, "Here we go again." You can't help but think that it is, because you, you've just seen it over and over again. They they should they probably should have taken two of the three in Statesboro. I can only speak to that because those are the three that I was up close and personal for, but. As good as Justin Medlin was in game one of that series, bullpen gave up five runs in the seventh inning. Game two was not close. Georgia Southern with the boat race. They win 12-2. to And then game three, Arc State led the entire time. And Georgia Southern kept getting within a run. They kept getting guys in the scoring position. They kept going everything but score. Then you get to two outs in the ninth. Nobody on. You're down a run. Walk, walk, single, walk, hit by pitch, and you walk it off. That, that kind of sums it up for the Red Wolves. Yeah, I mean, they jumped out to a 4 nothing lead after three yesterday against the Cajuns and then just didn't score after that yeah. and had opportunities. Like you said, bases loaded, no outs. So, uh, but we'll take it. Uh, I believe we've hit everybody. Let's go ahead and take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll talk about the week that's coming up, the short week that's coming up. You're listening to We're Talking. Craig Malonson, Danny Reed for the Georgia Southern Sports Network. Welcome back into uh, we're talking today. Craig Malonso on Danny Reed of the Georgia Southern Sports Network talking some Bell Conference baseball. Danny, uh, short week this week with, with uh, in-state rivalries or closest rivalries, however you want to call it. I hate to say some of them may not be rivalries, but not only that, I see we've got a pretty full slate on, on Tuesday, which is a little surprising. But at the same time, there's not a whole lot of weekends that you can take off because of the travel schedule. Like you guys came to uh, Louisiana and then went to Texas State. Don't remember if y'all had a midweek game last week in between those two big we travel were, weekends. We were supposed to, supposed to play Kennesaw State on Wednesday, but that got rained out, and that would have been a really important game for both. Kennesaw is number 10 in the RPI going into this week. They swept their series over the weekend, so they're 10-2 and two in Atlantic Sun play. But what they're going to try to do is make that a double midweek later on this season before Coastal Carolina comes to town. So that'll set up Georgia Southern for a five-game home week. If that ends up happening, it isn't it isn't confirmed yet, but that is what the coaching staffs are efforting towards to try to get that game rescheduled. Because if the teams are where they are now, deeper into the season, that's going to make those games even more important and could be resume builders. For both teams, not, yeah. not just y'all, both teams. Uh, um, you know, last week was rough, though, on the midweek games, quite <laughs> honestly. Uh, the Cajuns, well, the Cajuns, I, I say, well, we're, just the way we lost the first game, but we were able to split at Louisiana Tech. But other than that, it was a rough, rough uh, 
rough midweek last week, but we've got some opportunity. Georgia State with Georgia Tech uh, th- uh, this weekend or, or this Tuesday. How is how is Georgia Tech playing? I guess. That's uh, the best lineup we've seen this year, and I know really? that was the fourth, yeah, that was the fourth game of the season. They're currently number nine in the RPI. I know that they're under 500 in ACC play, but that is a really good lineup. Their catcher is a guy named Kevin Parada. He's probably going to be a top five pick in the draft this year. He is an incredible offensive player. They've got good arms if they can stay healthy. Uh, they got a guy named Zach Maxwell, who's upper 90s out of the bullpen. They've moved him around with bullpen and starting. So I, I think that they have him working out of the pen at the moment, but he's somebody that could slide back into the rotation. Now, from that, the Eagles wouldn't have to worry about a weekend because you'd only see them a Tuesday or a Wednesday, and we go up there in May before heading to Little Rock in that last series. The key for them has been getting back their shortstop, Chandler Simpson, somebody that Georgia Southern saw a year ago when he was the leadoff hitter at UAB. But I'm not kidding when I say this. I think he might be the fastest guy I've ever seen on a baseball field. He had four hits in that game in Statesboro, but he also ran himself into three outs after he got on base. He has missed about a month's worth of action, and Tech kind of did the downslope a little bit, but now he's back. They just took two out of three from Florida State this weekend up in Atlanta. It is a lineup that if you make mistakes one through nine, they can not only hurt you, but they can hurt you badly. And now that they've gotten their guns back, they're probably in as good a spot as they can be. So I I anticipate that being one where if they hold up home field, the Eagles would certainly appreciate it. But at the same time, if Georgia State goes and wins there, that's a resume builder for them. And it'd be their eighth consecutive victory coming down here this weekend. Very nice. Um, you guys have headed to Presbyterian. Tell me a little bit about Presbyterian. Is that something that's going to be helpful for y'all? I mean, where are they? where they're in the standings and in their league and all that. Yeah, they had a series this past weekend out at Moorhead State. They had a doubleheader yesterday. They dropped both of those. So they're 13 and 17 through their 30 games. And this was actually the back end of a midweek home and home. Played the first game in 2019 at J.I. Clements. They got a 5-0 in the middle innings, but Georgia Southern scored eight in the eighth inning, ended up winning that game 10-5. to Now, I haven't seen them in three years, and it's the first time that those two had met in quite a while. But Elton Pollock is the head coach. This is his 18th year there. He is a highly respected guy in the state, not just in the state of South Carolina, but in the entire Southeast. They did raise their RPI to 191, so one that – it's going to hurt the Eagles if they don't win. If they do win, it's not going to do a whole lot for them outside being worth 1.3 for a road victory. But for a PC team that is three and six in the Big South and barely top 200 in non-conference strength of schedule as well, it's a handle your business kind of game. I will say that their top three hitters are the top three guys in their order. Second baseman Jack Gorman, outfielder Jay Weatherington, and right fielder Eric Toth. So it seems like you get by those guys, you can have some success. And with midweek pitching, who knows who's going to do what? Because for Georgia Southern, <laughs> having to do what they did this past weekend against Texas State, I have no idea who's going to get the ball tomorrow. Yeah, the Cajuns are hosting McNeese. Uh, McNeese, uh, I think, right around 500 right now. But the Cajuns have won uh, 15 out of the last 19 games against the Cowboys. But at the same time, you know, the two teams are a little over an hour apart, uh, played together in the Southland Conference. Uh, could get. 
there's been some pretty close games over the years between the two teams. Even 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 when the Cajuns come out on top, I believe there was a 17 inning game um, about four years ago. So, um, not a, not a game the Cajuns can afford to lose, in my opinion, especially playing at home. The, that's one thing I've always I've always been let's just say I've been impressed by the fact that you've got so many teams, division one teams in the state, but also so many quality teams. And you can look at some that are struggling out of Southeastern Louisiana is a little bit down this year, but typically in Hammond, that's a really good program, but the luxury of having that kind of competition in the midweek that if it doesn't help you from an RPI standpoint, it can definitely get you ready for conference play because those are rivalries. And I know how you guys and ULM both feel about Louisiana tech, but that that's something to be a little bit envious of. There's only six division one baseball teams in the state of Georgia and what there's 13, 14 in Louisiana. So to be able to have that and basically know who you're playing in the midweek, almost every midweek that's comforting, but it's also something to, to look at and be impressed with. Well, the nice part about it, most of those games, too, are within a two-hour drive of Lafayette. So we're not having to spend four or five hours on the road for a midweek game. And then in which, uh, I mean, we, we would, we've we done that before against Rice. But the nice part about this time is we play Rice. We've got two on the road against Rice. But then we will continue on to Texas State. So it'll be a nice, nice trip there coming up. Uh, lastly, but well, midweek game. So, uh, Baylor, Texas state, uh, Texas state hosting Baylor got to be able to bounce back, got to be able to do what they, what they did earlier on. That's been, that's actually a, a series that hasn't had many games lately because of weather, for whatever reason, the Texas state Bobcats and the Baylor bears have not played very much in the midweek inclement weather has hampered them, but I know the Texas state values being able to go to Waco and likewise that that's a series that both enjoy Texas state's had a decent amount of success against Baylor. And since they just dropped three of their four games last week, I would imagine they're still going to be ranked, but they would probably need to get things back and going again, knowing that the bullseye is firmly on their back. And now they've got something to shoot for because Georgia state has unseated them for the top spot in league play. So that will make things even more interesting going down the stretch. Good deal. Let's move on to the weekend. Uh, Coastal Carolina at App State. Uh, both teams uh, struggle. Uh, can Coastal go into App and, and take two out of three? They probably should, considering that App number one scored only two runs last weekend, and they they mixed up their weekend rotation. Tyler Tuthill didn't start on Friday. They went to Jason Kornatzer for game one, somebody that does have a power arm, but he has struggled with command over the course of his career. I couldn't tell you what their situation is going to be for Coastal, but you, you have to feel at some point that that offense is going to say enough's enough. We're just, we, we just need to start slugging. We need to start scoring. The fact that those games against Georgia State weren't as high scoring tells me that the Panthers pitching has gotten a lot better since the start of the season. Ryan Watson's now tied for the league lead in saves with Tristan Stivers, and they have Georgia Southern to thank a little bit for that, so they helped him blow a couple of saves over the weekend in that series. But it, it appears that Georgia State is maybe playing its best baseball in more than a decade. Yeah, uh, I, I think for me, Coastal has to go in there and do that. Otherwise... I'm not going to be sold on Coastal the rest of the season. I think they, I think they have an opportunity. They'll have an opportunity to damage in the conference tournament 
but it all depends where they're seated there as well. They basically have one starter. Reed Van Scooter is about it with their weekend rotation. Bullpen has been a massive liability for them. They're never out of it because of the way they can swing, but I think that they would tell you that preseason player of the year, Eric Brown, his numbers are down a little bit, even though Austin White has been a nice surprise since transferring in. But they're not a team that has it going the way that they want to just yet, despite being over 500 overall. Arkansas State heading into Little Rock. Is that is that – does Arkansas State get a uh, conference win there? I will say that they get at least one there. It's okay. Time. It, it, it is time for them to get one. I, I know Little Rock is not uh, what we'd call the top of the standings, powerhouse team, but at the same time, uh, man, the Red Wolves have to do something. So, uh, ULM at uh, uh, – actually, let's go Texas State UTA. Texas State heading up to Arlington. Um, I, I would. I, I know it's tough to sweep on the road, but I almost expect that that Texas State is going to bounce back and bounce back strong. I would think along those lines because UT Arlington hasn't shown enough with its starting rotation. They did do something a little bit unique against Little Rock. David Moffat, who's been coming out of the bullpen, I think we've talked about that on prior episodes. They brought him in in game one, and then in game two or I'm sorry, game three, Kate Winquest was the game three starter, somebody that was in their weekend rotation before he had an elbow issue back in 2019. He'd been back and forth midweek guy. But Moffitt came back and he threw six innings scoreless out of the bullpen in game three and had them in contention to take the finale. I, I just, I don't think they have a whole lot of confidence in what they're doing on the mound and offensively they've been, Sometimes they've been on, sometimes they've been off. And when you lose back-to-back games by walk-off, that makes you kind of the Arkansas State frame of mind where, okay, we know we're good enough to be in it. Are we good enough to win it? You've got your supposed rival coming to you. They should be able to give Texas State their best punch, but this is a team that you're going to see later on in the year. I was really impressed by Texas State. I think that that's a really good lineup. Their starters throw the heck out of the ball. And if Stivers gets back what he had before Georgia Southern, he shortens the game to seven innings because he's going to go the final six outs to get a save. It's 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 going to be I, – I, I'm not going to say must win for Texas State because it's on the road, but I, I think if they want to show that they're there, they've got to do some damage. So that's all I'll say. Uh, ULM. At Louisiana, uh, you know, you go back to, I, I mentioned the 30 and two over, since 2013, went back to uh, 2012 was the last time that the Cajuns had been swept by ULM. And that was at Tegmore Field. And the last game was 17 to nothing in favor of ULM in that, that's, that, that series. Uh, and then uh, it really pissed off the Cajun coaching staff because ULM, was in the seventh and eighth inning with large leads, 12, nothing or so, and continued to steal, continue to do things. Didn't play, uh, broke the rules of baseball is what I'll say. It was not very sportsmanlike. Yes. Okay. So thank you. And that was a seven inning game that we lost 17 to nothing. Thank you very much. Uh, I've been through that. Trust me. So, <laughs> uh, but ULM, uh, a team again. I think I think they're 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 better than their record states, but at the same time, I think the Cajuns are starting to find things out. Uh, your thoughts on the 
the weekend that's going to be there here in Lafayette. Well, having just seen the Cajuns last weekend, that being a really good series and the Cajuns outplaying the Eagles for much of that series and being able to take two out of the three, you, you never know what's going to happen when you play your rival. And you, you, you hear all the time, I'll throw the records out, throw the stats out. It doesn't matter. They don't like them. We don't like them. They don't like us. It's knuckles on knuckles. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be a war. You really don't know what it's going to look like once the ball gets put in play. I do know that for teams that aren't where they are now, that doesn't mean they're not going to get to where they think they should be. It just means that everybody develops a little bit differently. Like with the Cajuns, going the road for five last week, taking the final four, doesn't matter who you played. But since one of them was Louisiana Tech and the other three were part of a conference sweep, that's an important week. That's a big week. You got to translate it now to another game or another series this weekend, even though it does come up a day short. And I wonder what teams will do with their pitching, if they'll be able to move guys up or if they'll keep them and they'll have to mix and match with the Thursday through Saturday. But that remains to be seen. But development-wise, teams like a ULM, that if they get the engine going with their offense, it is a tough one to stop. I think back to last year, they had a three-game series in Statesboro, and Georgia Southern swept ULM. That was after they went to Alabama that Tuesday and beat the Crimson Tide. But after that, they were hot as could be over the final month of the season. And in our conversations with a lot of different people in this league, it was ULM and Troy were the two hottest teams in the league going into the tournament. But with pool play, because they didn't win their pools, they both lost their first game, so none of that mattered. And they both played a meaningless game to, to finish up their season. I mean, we're not going to do pool play anymore. But it, it shows you, number one, how teams need to develop, but also how fragile that development can be because you could be playing as well as possible. But when it comes to the season being on the line, if you're not ready to roll, your season's over. I, I agree with you. Um, Troy and uh, wait, I'm trying to. I'm sorry, South Alabama at Troy. Uh, you know, two teams. Uh, I felt like Troy somewhat after they swept the Cajuns played a little disappointing, but at the same time, they're still at the top of the standings, right there. To, uh, you know, tied for third with Georgia Southern. That's, that should be a good weekend. I think that's the best, second best series of the weekend. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. No partiality here in Statesboro, but entire partiality here in Statesboro. But I, I would anticipate Troy and South Alabama to be a really good three games. You get it at Riddle Pace in Doubles Alley. Troy is a really good offensive team at home. They know how to hit the ball in that ballpark like Texas State did over the weekend in San Marcos. I would anticipate that South Alabama is in a much better spot now because even if Miles Smith doesn't go, it feels like they know what they have with their rotation. They can patch it together with that bullpen. And offensively, they're in a much better spot at this point in the season than they were in 2021. I know that team won a league championship. But Troy being at home, South starting to figure it out. I mean, hell, Troy just swept a three-game series at ULM. So I would – I would think that that's a really good series, and I'm not sure I can pick a winner right now because I think it's going to be that close. Is that where – is South Alabama's pitching, are they able to shut down Troy's hitting there at Troy playing at home? I guess that's the question, and and I know I, I know you just said that you weren't going to pick a winner, but – I 
I don't know if like that. That's that's one of the closest series. I don't I don't know if okay. I can pick a winner gotcha. because if if South Alabama goes fly ball pitching, they're going to be in trouble. If they can keep it down and they can up the strikeouts, then I think I would give them a slight edge. But I, I don't know if I could lean either way and feel confident about doing it right now. Okay, fair enough. Now, which I think is the premier uh, series on the weekend, Georgia State, Georgia Southern. Uh, you know, you guys are hosting the Panthers. I know, I know, I know it's, it's become different from what football and basketball, and I'm not even sure if there's even a rivalry there in football for you guys, but I know in basketball, there's, there's definitely some, some love, hatred, love to hate them, but yeah. baseball has come more of a respect game with their new coach and everything there. And, uh, they're playing good baseball. So is that going to be fun for you guys this weekend? Well, the last two weekends have been fun. This time we actually get to have the fun in states, bro. So maybe that means it's going to be even more so. And maybe it means that if the Eagles play really well, they could be in first place going into Easter. But like we've already talked about, Griffin Chaney, a sixth-year senior, has been the league's best player up to this point. On base, hitting, hitting for power. They've also got Ryerson, who leads the league in home runs. Boyden's got power pitching-wise. Cameron Jones isn't starting for them anymore, but he has been effective reliever. We mentioned Watson tied for the league lead and saves. They are just a team that is playing in a much different way than what they had just maybe a year and a half. I'm not going to say two years ago. He has had to turn over the talent a little bit, but last year with that schedule, you really didn't know what they were going to be able to do. And you just want to look at those numbers and say, well, this is this is the same old Georgia State team that's going to be at the bottom of the bottom of the conference, bottom of the division, not going to be able to threaten people very much. But now it's a, well, this is a team we can't look over anymore. This is a team that we're going to really have to put under the microscope and figure out, one, how we beat them, but two, how we play our best. But with this being the last of an eight-game road trip for Georgia Southern, I know that they're excited to get home and they're even more so knowing that it's going to be their rival on the other side. You know, we talked about it last week uh, with, with Jay and Colin, but it, the, the three games that we had here in Lafayette, you guys could have swept us. We could have swept you. I mean, they were that close. Same thing at Texas state. So you've gone, you've gone a weekend that you could have gone six and oh, but you could have gone oh and six, but at the same time, you're, I won't say disappointed at three and three, but if, if you're, if you're, if, if you're, if you're competitive at all, yeah, you're disappointed. You're three and three. You, you felt like, you know, four and two would have been definitely better, but at the same time, Georgia state, if they, if they've got a little bit of a Achilles heel, they're six and seven on the road and you guys are 12 and three at home. So you got to feel pretty good about that. And they have dropped a series at ULM. I know it was the second weekend of the season, but they dropped the first two at Warhawk field. They came back to get the finale. They've been able to do a lot at home, even though they did just go to Coastal and sweep that series. But still, I don't know that anybody knows exactly what Coastal is yet. They're just over 500. They have their offense, their lack of pitching. But what are they going to be? Who are they really still capable of beating anybody in this league? They probably should have taken that series from Texas State because they led 8-1 to one in game three, only to lose 13-9, to 13-9, 13-10. Yeah. But – you get them here. It's what you want. It's a chance to be at worst in second place. Maybe you get in first if you sweep, but how the pitching is going to work with bumping the series up a day, we'll find out for both. But I do anticipate this probably being the most important series that these two have ever played against each other. 
Well, I, I can tell you that I'm, I'm hoping uh, I have not looked close enough at the schedule. I'm just going to glance right now at it. Uh, I, I, my hope is that they're not playing the same time as the Cajuns. Uh, so that I can at least get to listen to y'all a little bit, uh, if nothing else, because I, I expect good baseball out of that and, uh, and really looking forward to it. The, the interesting thing about where this week falls relative to the rest of the season, this is up to 15 conference games. So this puts you halfway through the league season, having Easter Sunday to reset and spend time with family. So it's, it's nice the way that it worked out. I know how much Coach Robe was, how instrumental he was in making sure that baseball was not played on Sunday in this league. And I know Ty Harrington was a big proponent of that as yep. well. So being able to move this up a day, I mean, pitching-wise, it is what it is. But from that standpoint, this this has been a really good thing for the league, and I'm really happy that they've done this the last few years. I, I hope they continue this tradition, and I hope they also, which I think is desperately needed, go back to four umpires. You'll definitely have them for the tournament, but as far as regular season, that's something that's going to have to take place going into 23. No, I understand that. I'm just saying I'm hoping yeah, they go – we, we go back to, uh, the, the, Hey, for the most part, I think the umpires, uh, and, and I'm one that'll sit down there and harass them. I think they, but they, I, I think for the most part, most of them do a good job, but at the same time, I noticed your umpiring crew over there is not, uh, not fan friendly here when they, when they've been at the Teague and I don't think we'll see them the rest of the season. If you know what I mean, <laughs> I'm catching your drift. Yes. So Danny, thank you so much. Uh, the hour went by pretty quick here for me. I hope it went by as quickly for you. I could, I could sit and talk baseball with you guys all day. Love talking baseball. Uh, I, I will say that I'm, I'm happy. Uh, I've never been so happy to have a split with my reds taking uh, splitting with the Braves, but at the same time, I don't know what your pirates did, but, from what I saw, I think on, on opening night, um, I don't think you want to talk about that. Well, they did win. They won game three. So they dropped two out of three. But yeah, opening night, we'll just say that that wasn't very good. Well, I've got a friend that lives in Pittsburgh, and his comment on Facebook is I think the Pirates may be the worst team in the league again. So, uh, and I'm not making fun of you because I've been there with the Reds, you know, and I know it's all uh, cyclical. Is that the correct term i'm looking for so but i'm not going into those big words right now danny thank you so much you got it buddy you've been listening to we're talking craig malonso and danny reed of the georgia southern sports network catch danny and colin on their on their call on the georgia southern sports Network. go to their schedule click on the link to listen the uh the the panthers and the eagles will be playing three hours before the cajuns on saturday so a great opportunity for you guys to listen to danny and colin get some great insight. Danny talks about all the games that's going on around the league. Love listening to him. So once more, thank you, Danny. Yes, sir. Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited, except, ah, uh, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it, share it, put it in your podcast, broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due.